Foul evil to the right hand. Puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. I'm grateful. Oh yeah, able. Oh yeah, I'm stable. What is going on, everyone? Welcome. Episode number 85. Hockey to hell and back, of course. I'm Brady Liebold coming at you guys live from Muskoka, Ontario. I feel like my audio is a bit crackly. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, we'll try to figure that out. But thanks for thanks for being here. If you're watching live, if you're listening after, thank you. Wherever you're finding this podcast, thank you. I got to give a very big shout out to Dan Fumano and everyone at the province out there in Vancouver. I uh, just recently did a feature story on me, made front page news and... Uh, you know, it's it's kind of cool. I just want to touch on it quickly because Dan actually was the one who did the story on me, uh, I guess, six years ago when I was first sent to jail. And uh, it was front page news, ex-hockey pro goes to jail. And uh, here we are six years later and uh, sharing a story of hope. And I'm just so grateful. We've had a lot of new people 
find the podcast, which has been just amazing. And uh, owe it all to Dan and everyone at the province. Um, that's the positive stuff for now. There's something that I need to uh, just address quickly. And I touched on it the last episode. I didn't mention his name. Uh, and I'm not going to go too much into it. I'll probably do an entire show uh, on Kevin Kerbison, but I feel like I owe it to the viewers, the listeners. A lot of you guys contributed to trying to help uh, my friend, our brother, Kevin Kerbison, former Vernon Viper of the BC Hockey League, uh, former teammate of mine. I saw a video of him on YouTube uh, almost two years ago. Uh, he was homeless. He was not having a very good time. He was in Kelowna and uh, wanting to get his life back. It took me almost a year to find him. And when I did, I wanted to help him. And uh, we flew him out here last spring and tried to get him to treatment and things didn't go as planned. Um, you know, I questioned myself if maybe I could have done things a little differently, but I know I tried my best and uh, he made the decision to to walk, walk on that plane and go back to BC. And him and I kept in, in contact over the the months that had passed and he expressed to me multiple times that he just wanted to get his life back and he was struggling. And, uh, you know, I know how hard that is. Uh, Boxing day, I woke up to a very, very hard message. I got the news that uh, Kevin had passed away of an overdose on Christmas of this year. And, um, you know, I've cried a lot about this uh, over the past few weeks. Um, Here's a picture of me and him at the airport when I picked him up, you know, I had a lot of hope for him and, and, wanted to, to do my best to make a difference for him. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, addiction is just so powerful. And uh, Kevin was a warrior. Uh, and I know that he would want me to share his story right now because the conversations that we had, he always just wanted to be in a position to help others. He was one of the good ones, um, had some demons and just tragically couldn't get away from them. Kevin, you'll always be remembered here. Um, I love you. I miss you. Um, we're going to talk a lot about Kevin and anyone that knows puck support. You guys know that we honor these individuals that have lost their lives to suicide and overdose. And Kevin is now in that picture. And, you know, I told him, I told him that this, this was, this could be a chance. And just want to remind anybody out there who may be struggling. Um, you're not alone and you have the strength. You have the strength to make the decision to take your life back. And it is possible. We can learn from these stories. I'll never, ever forget Kevin. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about him moving forward, but I just wanted to share that with you guys because some of you may or may not have known, and people have been asking on an update, and uh, this is the absolutely worst-case scenario, but I thought that I owed it um, to you guys, and I know that that's what Kevin would want. So, Kevin, this this episode is in your memory, and, and moving forward... You know, everything that I'm doing is going to be in your memory, man. I love you. I miss you. Um, we'll talk about it on a later episode or maybe at the end of the episode. But I know he's up there looking down um, wherever he is. He's making that place a lot better. I know that. So one quick commercial and we'll be right back with uh, with Jay Harrison. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. 
Thank you to Regan Bartell, everyone over there at Team Issued. Uh, I'm really excited for this episode. And, you know, I I met this individual virtually, I guess, almost close to a year ago uh, when I had a meeting uh, with some people at the NHL. Uh, he sat in on that meeting. Or no, he was in the next one with the NHLPA, I believe. I'm, I'm getting my stories crossed here, which often happens. We're going to probably talk a little bit about concussions and, and how that ties into mental health. That's certainly been a part of my story. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I did some research on on Jay Harrison. And of course, he's a hockey player. He was drafted first overall by by the battalion back in 1998 and went to the Ontario Hockey League and was drafted in the third round by the Toronto Maple Leafs. His hometown team, pretty awesome. Uh, had a great pro career through the NHL, the American Hockey League, played over 300 games in the show. Um, and what really caught my attention about Jay, aside from his his hockey career which is obviously unbelievable is the work that he's doing now uh, you know he's taken his experience and and uh through hockey and and life uh, and now he's done a ton of schooling we're going to hear a lot about it uh he's he's got the best of both worlds and at the end of the day this is somebody that i really truly look up to uh, and somebody that brings a lot of value to not just the hockey community uh, but to the entire sport community and the world in general ladies and gentlemen I'd like to introduce you my new friend Mr. Jay Harrison. What's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm well, man. How are you? Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. It's, uh, it's a, honestly, it's a pleasure to have you. As I said in the intro, I, I really do look up to you. And there's so many places, Jay, that I want to take this conversation. But I always ask everybody, I always need to know the love of hockey. Where? Where did it come from? Uh, it's it's funny and it's it's the, the classic Canadian story, born with a Gretzky jersey on. Uh, you know, early 80s kid. Uh, I don't think there's a picture of me under three years old without it. Uh, slept in it. Uh, had to have it washed and put back on within two hours. Um, I really don't remember a time without without the sport and the love of the sport uh, in, in my life. So I don't think that's a unique story uh, by, by any stretch from, from a, you know, an Ontario kid's story. But uh, it became quickly ingrained into who I was and not only, you know, who I was, but where I was from. And yeah. it ended up encapsulating a huge part of, of my identity and, and what I valued and uh, ended up becoming a huge vehicle to uh, obviously become uh, professionalized in something, uh, to, to express myself, to learn about myself in the world and collect a whole bunch of amazing experiences. So um, my love of the game is as strong today as it was when I was that two-year-old kid in a Gretzky jersey, that's for sure. That's that's incredible. And I think that's that's important to because not everybody that I've had on the show, uh, you know, has that same feeling towards hockey maybe today as they did as a kid. And I think that somewhere where I was at for a long time, but now I'm back to where you're at as you know that that kid that's just kind of fallen in love with the game and all that it brings and uh just want to quickly ask you so how early on did you kind of decide that this was the direction that you wanted to take your life and and kind of started to believe in yourself that hey maybe i got something here because to be drafted first overall to the o you had to be kind of believing in yourself and kind of having those people believe in you. So what did that look like for Jay Harrison and that belief at a young age and, and making his way through maybe getting into the OHL? And was there a time, maybe the NCAA route, you have all this schooling. Now I look at it and I'm like, man, he should have just went to Harvard or something. He could have got a full ride and done all this schooling first. It's, it's good. It's, it's a funny point. And just, just to your last point. Yeah. I, I don't equate my love for the game with the game being perfect. Yes. Um, uh, you know, sometimes we, we love things in spite of their imperfections. Yeah. Uh, and, 
you know, we're motivated to make change like you and I are in those areas because there's something worth saving. Yes. Uh, that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't remember a time when, when it wasn't the, the, the ultimate goal and the outcome. It was something that, that I just, just always wanted to do and was able to have the opportunity. I don't ever, you know, discount or overlook the, the gratitude and having a chance to play the game as a, as a kid. Yeah. Uh, and, and have the opportunities to play at a high level, to travel, to play. Uh, it was was always a big deal. And as I became more proficient in the game, you know, my skill was starting to get recognized. Yeah, there was there was some opportunities. But, you know, growing up in the 90s in Ontario and, and being good at 14, 15 years old, there's really only one trajectory. It's the Canadian Hockey League. Yeah, uh, it's the preparatory step. Uh, university might as well have been a lifetime away for a 14, 15 year old kid, regardless of how attractive the offers were. Um, at that age, uh, you're looking to acclimate those things you watch when you grow up. You know, I grew up watch, watching the Oshawa Generals championship teams, Memorial Cup. You know, those teams, that's that's what I dreamed of. That's what I went to bed sleeping about. That's who I pretended to be when I was, whether it was gym class or in road hockey or in the backyard rink. That's what I was doing yeah. and that's who I was being. So <laughs> it would be a touch naive to say that, you know, well, I, I probably would have had more perspective. But the funny thing is the long way around, I still ended up with the same amount of school, probably more. <laughs> uh, because I had more time to do it, uh, ended up playing pro for, for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, it gave me quite a bit of time to uh, you know, decorate my, my office with pieces of paper. <laughs> yeah, and like, I, I really want to get into that. That's kind of where the, bo the, the bones or the meat of this conversation I want to I take it to is kind of where you're at today. I just kind of want to give people an idea of what your, your experience was like. I mean, it's kind of, you know, you're unique. You're one of one being drafted first overall. There's no other first overall pick. There's added pressure. Um, people are looking at you wherever you go. People measuring up against you. Um, what was that like for you, um, having that pressure? Were you somebody that was able to take that and, and kind of utilize that? Or did it ever become a little bit too much for, for young Jay Harrison? Um, I wouldn't say that it became, you know, objectively burdensome where you, you could see it yeah. in the day to day I had a great support system around me, you know, certainly with family, uh, getting drafted to Brampton, playing in Brampton was a very unique situation. It was an expansion team, yeah. uh, a whole bunch of unique aspects of going there, but uh, there was, there was a strong emphasis on, on academics and school focus. It, it wasn't the traditional, you know, no derogatory terms meant, but like it wasn't the Ottawa 67s of the 1980s experience you, you yeah. normally equate with the OHL. I was in class arguably more than I was in minor hockey. We didn't miss any, any time and we were held accountable to our grades. And yeah. even if that meant that, you know, guys who were getting 80s who should be getting 90s were called out for it. Um, so it was a little bit of a different culture that I think, you know, looking back now was a, was a huge protective factor uh, and insulated me, um, you know, against some of the potential uh, stressors that could have, have come with that but certainly the 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 need to perform uh and fulfill expectations is always a burden of the performer you know whether you're you're an athlete a high performing athlete or in any industry um you have to meet the challenge and you have to receive that as a challenge and it can be very burdensome uh to to have to live up to standards that you know you maybe you maybe not necessarily feel that, that you can actually fulfill yeah um, Thankfully, I felt like I could fulfill them, even when others started to not think that I could fulfill them. I, yeah. I, I learned quite a bit about myself when it was just me in the mirror, um, you know, and we were the only two who believed in me.
That's well, and at the end of the day, I mean, that's where it starts, right? And that's it's the most important person uh, to, to believe. You got to believe in yourself. Uh, you had a pretty awesome uh, opportunity. You had a few opportunities to represent Canada, uh, but a couple at the World Junior Championship. Very awesome. I mean, that must have been a dream come true. Um, you know, these you have all these amazing experiences, and you can touch on that as you as as you as you wish the world junior or whatever. I just, I think it's everybody, every kid in Canada, at least my age growing up, that was the epitome of like success. Like before making the NHL, like you play in the world junior team and you're set, right? Like you're, you, you got a pretty good chance and that's the goal. So you, here you have a you, Jay Harrison drafted first overall, having great success drafted by Toronto, couple world juniors. Now you're heading into pro. Um, how was that transition for you? And, and because now I'm just asking the reason why I asked Jay is because it seems like up to this point, there was very little, maybe resistance or or anybody saying hey jay you know you're not going to be on the first line or you're not you know you're you're scratched tonight like this never maybe happened to you before did this was this hard transition or did this stuff kind of happen how did you handle that yeah no that's a, a very astute observation if if you look at you know my career and follow it there's about 400 games in the minors before any substantive time in the nhl uh so it was a long road to figure it out at the pro level uh, for me, the learning curve, uh, it was difficult. It was, it was very challenging uh, in many ways, you know, some from me learning the game, uh, some maintaining that confidence within the game, finding my role, finding an opportunity. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, learning the pro game came, came with its challenges and certainly uh, was, you know, as, as you probably astutely picked up, yeah, the game, you know, wasn't, you know, necessarily difficult. Certainly it had its challenges, but to that point, I was meeting and exceeding expectations you know, as expected, this was, you know, that first time where, you know, you really started had to, to, to grind a bit yeah. uh, and, and learned a great deal about that experience, learn the game the right way, learn the game the hard way uh, in many ways. And, you know, l- you know, leading through that experience, you know, playing out in St. John's and, um, you know, coming to Toronto as well. And then, you know, we took a year in, in Switzerland. My, my wife and I decided it was time to, to try something else, maybe even forgo the dream. And uh, we went to, to Switzerland for a year and, you know, funny how life works out. I was back in the National Hockey League by the end of that season. Um, so I don't also discount how many things had to go right uh, for my opportunity to emerge. Certainly, I had to take advantage of that opportunity when it came, you know, through, through Toronto and then eventually in Carolina where I established myself. Uh, a lot of things had to happen that were completely outside of my control uh, just to give me an opportunity uh, to to do that um and that <laughs> yeah that by the way folks that's Zdeno Char and that's like uh, one of a couple you had with him so I mean yeah. you, you played that you you did play the game the hard way you didn't sound like you had a tremendous amount of penalty minutes but at the research that I did it was like man the, he fought a lot and he fought all the tough he fought all the tough guys and and was that was that maybe a part of uh, of finding your way and and maybe in in like I'm not saying fighting is a part of hockey, but just showing like, Hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Right. Was that, was that part of your journey? Uh, were you doing stuff like that before? I wasn't even ask you about that, but I threw the picture up and I was like, Hey, why not? Yeah. It, um, it was, it was an asset, you know, in a, in a game where you have to distinguish yourself. Um, and it, it became, it became a tool. It became a useful tool to, to bring value to a club. I had a really tough time saying no, <laughs> doesn't mean I always wanted to and doesn't mean I wasn't scared to uh, at times, but I, I had a, a very difficult time saying no. 
uh, and um, always, you know, took those opportunities to to defend myself, to defend my teammates. Um, it was something that I could contribute with. Uh, it's a unique aspect of the hockey culture. Uh, certainly, there are, there are arguments on all sides as to its place. Uh, but coming from a from a you know a generation where we grew up, where there was rules within the rules, it's the only sport that really is, has those, and the rules change as the game changes. Yeah, uh, I know other sport demonstrates that you know fluidity and uh, responsibility on the players to manage the game and enforce uh, the discipline of the game on each other, which I think is a very unique aspect of of, of the hockey culture. Um, you know, so you know, with that, it, it was something that was occurring in the game that was a part of the game, and there was a need to be filled. Uh, and I happened to be able to to do it reasonably well, well enough to to get a chance to do it again. Anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> You know, I do. I do look at. It. I learned a lot about myself as well. So I just have to remind myself as well. And you know, in, in the life after hockey, when you know you're in new environments, things can be very intimidating without the experience. And you know, whether it's going into a meeting or meeting new people or doing a, a presentation in a room, that it's not Z uh, on the other end, or it's not it's not Lucic, or it's not Rock on the other end with a left. So, um, what? <laughs> how bad could it really be? So I look back at those experiences and. You know, they, they remind me of, of what what kind of, you know, courage I could demonstrate when I had to Absolutely. Uh, defend myself and as well as, you know, you know, earn my living, if you will. Yeah. And, and it's a great point. And I think hockey has, has changed, but I've never really thought of that. I mean, I think in, in maybe a indirect way, maybe I have, but the, the whole aspect of hockey players policing themselves and I never like thought about it, but when you really think about it, how many times in a hockey game has have in the NHL things really broken out to the point where guys are, are really can't control themselves after something or whatever. It's there's that, there's that respect doesn't mean that things can't go wrong. I mean, anything can happen anywhere, regardless of what you're doing, but I, there is a very unique uh, respect and camaraderie and it's a very good point. And it's, it is, it, there's nothing else like it in the world. And um, there is no, no other sport in the world except for fighting where you can actually, where you were allowed to, you know, drop your gloves and, and get in a fight and sit five minutes, not have to go to the courthouse after like that's right. There's a, there's a component of chivalry to it. Um, yes. There's a number of rules within the rules that when you introduce it to people and they, they see a barbaric act it, and then you, you highlight some of the, the finer points. And I always, you know, was greatly proud of some of the most respectful guys were those who were most capable of you know inflicting pain on others you look at the guys players like george the rock was 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 one of the greatest at that uh, incredibly respectful to those uh that he competed against and battled you know the george peros um yeah. all of these guys were you know just they're incredibly kevin westgarth another you know tough man um that i've you know had to play against and also had to you know fight and then got to play with as well but um, they always carried themselves with the utmost respect for what they did. It was never treated uh, or abused. If that makes any sense to any non-hockey folks, I, I understand if it doesn't. No, I think I think the majority of people watching or listening are all hockey folks. Right. I think we all we all understand that, and I think it's 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 something that's special about the game of hockey. Regardless of where we're at today with hockey, you can't change the past and its history, and and it's something that's that's just special about the game of hockey, and you can't you can't change that. Um, I want to ask you, you: you mentioned you know you went to Switzerland, and then you essentially became a full-time NHLer, uh, and then you end up playing on the World Championship team for Canada. You represent your country again after. All that grind, all that, 
you're uncertain of what your future looks like. And all of a sudden you're in the NHL uh, and now you're representing your country again. So that must have felt uh, pretty damn good at the time, right? Yeah. Talk about, uh, you know, complete, you know, flip of trajectories um, and, and where, where I thought I was. And uh, probably the, the pinnacle of my career, when I look back at, I think, a, a personal achievement, uh, when I look back at that team, uh, it was an incredible honor to call those guys teammates and contribute significantly to that group. We didn't get all where we wanted to or where we could have. Um, won't belabor the details, but you know, needless to say, I hate shootouts. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was a uh, it was a really you know powerful moment, and you know those so great validation. Uh, and like I said, from those conversations with me in the mirror to you know to a, a Steve Eisenman and a Kevin Lowe saying you know, just how, how impressive your journey has been and, you know, commending, you know, the, the ground that I, I covered to get to that point. Uh, so in, in many ways, it was a, a very validating experience, which I, I cherish very greatly uh, as a, probably the, the, the pinnacle of my, of my career. Yeah, well, of course. And and yes, silver you got a silver medal though, right? So I mean it's not it's it's not a gold, right? But it's you still got a medal and you still represent the country and it's amazing. And I just I wanted to bring that up because I think people can relate it regardless of what you're doing. And you know, if things aren't going the way and you just continue and you work and you believe in yourself, amazing things can happen. And you know, you could have you could have easily just given up or just said, Hey, I'm gonna play in Switzerland and say and that could have been a great life too. Not to say that it's not, no disrespect to all the guys that are playing over overseas because it's a great life too but i think we all had that dream and, and of course you did and, and you stuck with it and it's uh it's it's just inspiring to hear and it's amazing um well that's where it kind of coming back to your first question it, it kind of clicked for me you know in my, my late 20s early 30s and you know i had my you know you know uh grievances with the game to that point uh in, in many ways and you know uh, that's when I realized, you know, that, wow, you must love this because no one else takes this much punishment <laughs> um, and keeps coming back for more. Um, and, you know, I went through actually a, a similar process upon retiring as well as we transition, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about. But, you know, as you know, you, you step away from the game, you also deal with a whole bunch of different feelings and, you know, whether it's unfinished business or resentment, you know, uh, that, that comes with, you know, an identity crisis and a complete change in your life. But ultimately through that process, you know, coming back 360, uh, that love um, is, is reignited and comes back actually stronger once you process some of the strong emotions. <laughs> Absolutely. How did you, like, how did you manage like yourself, like through all that, if you don't mind, and you can share as much or as little as you want, Jay, um, like the highs and the lows, like, was there, was, 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 at the time, is it something that maybe you felt you had to deal with on your own? Because we see the shift kind of just in, not even just in hockey, but in culture in general of, of talking about mental health or topics of addiction or things. It's a little bit better. But back then when, you know, even five, six, seven, eight years ago, people weren't really like talking about that or a guy like you that's playing 400 games in the A or whatever it was before getting that shot. Like that's a grind and you're going to the rink every single day trying to be a pro, but you're wanting to be at that level and it's a grind. And I'm just curious, like, was there, was there times when it was a struggle? And if, if so, like, were there things that you utilized for you to help or maybe that you recognize now that weren't there and that's kind of where you've taken the direction of your life? Yeah, uh, that's, it's a great question. And, you know, I always like to, to talk about this now, I mean, being a clinician, being a mental health counselor, uh, 
I'm not a mental health counselor because my mental health was perfect and that I'm supposed to be some sort of example. And some counselors get, get into that if they can't help if they're not perfect. And I was far from perfect. In fact, I would I would suggest quite the opposite. Uh, and, you know, looking back in reflection, there were there were a number of difficult experiences where I wasn't exactly uh, my own best advocate and using the most effective strategies to manage myself. Uh, and to manage my experience. And I, I remember, you know, specifically Switzerland was particularly difficult. Well, the scenery was beautiful. My internal world wasn't uh, going over there. The, you want to talk about pressure, the pressure on import players in the Swiss league with four guys uh, makes, you know, first of all, the O look like a piece of cake. Uh, the amount of pressure I ended up, um, I had a very significant back injury the summer before I even showed up and, you know, wasn't sure I was going to play that year or ever. Um, and, you know, certainly uh, was in a very dark spot, you know, I was very withdrawn um, and it was and it was a difficult time to, to work through, to, to question yourself and, uh, and and where you were. Certainly, I, I, I look at the most powerful relationships in my life. Certainly, my wife, Jodine, has been there literally since uh, my 16th birthday every day. Wow. Um, we have uh, kindred spirits and uh, have, you know, built and worked um, and created, you know, a beautiful partnership and a beautiful relationship where, you know, we're, we're rocks for each other. Uh, and she played a, a pivotal role in that. And she's been a great teacher for me as well. You know, I tend to be a ruminator and I tend to ask a lot of why questions. Um, and she's, you know, often said sometimes knowing why doesn't ever really help and you don't need to know why to get better. Something I've actually integrated into my clinical practice, which is quite powerful. Sometimes you don't need to know why to get better. Uh, you just need to make a choice. Um, so, yeah. hold on, I gotta, I gotta give you this one. I, I, I like that one. You don't, you don't gotta know why to get better. It's uh, that's really, really profound. Um, you know, it's a, it's a real forward look, right? So, I mean, yeah. just to kind of, you know, encapsulate that, I found um, one of the most powerful tools that I did use getting to well, how did I manage myself? How did I manage the highs and lows? And one of those was was my education. And starting to look back now and conceptualize and understand how that served me is that uh, it gave me something to feel good about. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly encourage when I work with players now, whether they're active, you know, especially active guys who are retired, but how you develop yourself outside the game gives you greater control uh, of how you manage those ups and downs. And the reason I say that is because developing yourself outside of sport gives you more things to ultimately feel good about. We call it self-efficacy, right? And the idea is that the more things you have to feel good about, the less likely some negative aspects of your life are willing to impact you, right? It's all going to kind of level things out. And I found that, you know, being a student gave me something to feel good about, a, a good an exam score, an essay score, these aspects, learning something new gave me this, this quality to my life. And it also ex expanded my perspective. And uh, I met new people outside the game. They gave me a different reflection of life. They gave me a different reflection of me, which I think is critically powerful in seeing what you're capable of. And I look back to that experience now and why I encourage a lot of players to be engaged outside the game, even when they're at the pinnacle of their success, there's no better time because you have no greater platform. Yeah. Uh, use that because it will ultimately develop more self-efficacy, more autonomy, more things to feel good about that are yours that a minus four night cannot take away, right? That don't matter and don't care that you, you had a three and two night. They don't care, 
right? Yeah. They're yours and, and the media didn't ask you about it and you don't care because that was yours. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how I, I largely look at that as a, as a huge buffer and an aspect that you can really develop yourself and really insulate yourself against the natural ups and downs of the game. That's, uh, that's awesome. I, I'm curious, uh, Jay, when you decided to take that plunge into the school world, like, because, you know, I wasn't around the game that long because of my, well, you know, I obviously fell into addiction, but there was never anybody ever talking about school or it was never, that was the last thing guys, most, most guys wanted to do. How did that come about for you? How old were you? Where were you when you decided to start taking some of that schooling? Yeah. I owe a lot of that to, uh, to the Brantford Battalion, uh, where, where we were, uh, and the culture that we had there in those first few years with that club. Uh, I was, I was in university courses in junior. Um, you know, a couple of us graduated high school early and, and were able, you know, being in, in the greater Toronto area, lots of university opportunities. Um, you know, I could reschedule exams to go to world juniors. Um, so uh, that was, you know, ingrained in me in a practice and, and something I felt good about. I got the, the, the bug early and I happened to be a decent student. I like, you know, school like it's t- to me. And <laughs> I've heard a few other people say this too, like all you really got to do is show up and do the work and, and they'll give you the the grades, no one's trying to put you through the wall. You know, you don't have to fight for it. You know, you do the work, and you learn to get credit for it. So compared to a game, it's pretty easy. Um, and and then as I continue to grow uh, as a player and, you know, 400 games in the minors and having a couple babies makes you think, how long am I going to be doing this? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that really lit a fire in, uh, into my motivation to uh, become educated, to create opportunities to explore the world outside the game and see what else I had to offer. Um, never for once trading in the dream or, you know, what I thought I could do for myself, but it was, uh, I had to find other ways to, um, to develop that confidence and develop that sense of purpose, uh, that had, you know, to this point, only one had driven me so far. Yeah. Uh, and, and ultimately I was able to continue that. I owe a huge degree of my success, you know, getting to play, as I said, for, for 15 years pro, I got, you know, to do a lot of schooling. Uh, there's a lot of time on the road. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was able to accumulate you know, an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree um, while still active, you know, playing professional hockey, which gave wow. me an enormous amount of options uh, come transition time and how you execute on a plan and develop a strategy, um, you know, once you kind of hit the, hit the ground running. So it gave me an enormous amount of opportunities. Uh, afterwards to shape what my future looked like rather be dictated to what my future had to be that's i you know i i know you're doing a ton of work you know encouraging guys to do and start thinking about this stuff um we'll talk about that too just for for people i didn't i meant to mention it all in the in the intro i figured we would talk more about it you got a a few uh official certifications and actually you're about to have a phd here in in like eight weeks is in uh performance psychology that's pretty awesome you're gonna be a doctor yeah (laughs) Only to all those, uh, all the guys that didn't like, I'll be a doctor. I'll, I'll just be Jay. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I will be uh, completing uh, my doctoral uh, defense in, in the coming weeks, um, where I, I've taken this opportunity and extended my academic journey into studying athletes specifically and the factors that impact our mental health and well-being, uh, and what we can do to better support that in our players. Um, my master's degree is in, in clinical psychology, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in North Carolina. 
Uh, so um, I, I always wanted to have uh, the ability to go into the trenches and do the hard work just like you. I think that's kind of where, you know, we share a lot of the kindred spirits is that we roll up our sleeves uh, and, and get in there. And I wanted to have the ability to do that, to have the hard conversations and be, you know, an advocate, but also a catalyst uh, and, a, and a, a conduit for guys to get the, the appropriate care and, and to feel that they could confide in someone who might understand their experience. One of the biggest defense mechanisms athletes use is that nobody understands what I'm going through because everyone assumes that this is a very special, awesome, how could anyone not be happy living the life I'm living? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm making, you know, six figures every two weeks, you know, uh, I'm living the dream, you know, I have the house and the wife and the kids and the cars and, and you know, it, that's not a rep. It doesn't necessarily equate to a full life for people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can be difficult to understand and sometimes it can be shameful. Yes. Uh, but another player can certainly understand what the grind is like, especially for, for any player with any experience, whether they were grinders, you know, or whether they're, you know, a highly sought after talented, you know, franchise players. I think the important point of this is that being a professional hockey player doesn't preclude you from having mental health issues, from having challenges and dealing with them well and dealing with them unwell. Yeah. Um, we're all capable of, a, of developing adaptive strategies and we're all capable of developing maladaptive ones. Some are better at it than others, uh, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. There are avenues uh, to explore and there is support if you know who to ask and you know how to ask. So I've dedicated the next <laughs> set, the next chapter of my life to you know, one, better teaching guys how to ask and when to ask, and then also being someone who's somewhere in between who they're asking and the help that they truly need. Uh, and in some cases, being that help where it's um, it's relevant to my expertise. I love it because I, I hear so many people, and I, I think in the past, maybe at times I've been guilty of it, is especially when I was in the time of being resentful against hockey or maybe against myself, more to say. Uh, for example, sitting in jail and, and watching a guy that I, you know, outscored and beat up playing in the show, and I'm sitting in jail, and these guys are watching, cheering on the game, and I can't even look at the game because I hate hockey. Maybe then, but people are always, uh, not always, but in a lot of cases, looking to blame um, when, when we see uh, an athlete struggle with mental health or addiction or whatever, they always want to find something to blame. Oh, it's got to be concussions. Oh, it's got to be this. It's got to be that. Um, it's got to be something to do with the culture of hockey. Um, and if we all just take a step back and realize that these issues happen everywhere, every place, like we're talking about, I think what hockey does, though, is that it brings a, a unique opportunity now, and like with what you're doing, is to try to like mesh the two. And then you're, you're not only just going to get the best performance out of players, you're going to give people uh, an opportunity to, to play the game, to try to live out their dream. And, and when it doesn't happen, have a, have a, like a plan in place. And I'm kind of curious as to you is like, when do you think and, and maybe it's there's a different time for everybody but when it like if, if somebody's an elite hockey player and and i actually got a message from a mom this morning about um, a junior player who's very doing very well but struggling with addiction where they they don't know if they even want to keep you know putting them into hockey or if they need to pull him out because he's going through this but where where do we uh, interject and start to um, really start to educate these kids? Maybe um, the kids have been drafted and, and start to show them that, hey, the dream is very much alive. Go for your dream, but 
at some point in time, there's going to be something after hockey because I found so many guys, at least that I played with or against uh, a lot of them um, have struggled because they didn't have that plan in place. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look at it and it's, it, there seems to be, there's a tendency in our culture, like a, a bit of a mythology that if you're not all in, you're out. Uh, this mentality and that any, you know, deviation from fully investing in the dream is somehow an admission that you don't believe in yourself or that you're checking out. You know, I think, and I can even speak to that, you know, experience some, maybe some of the guilt, like, should I be, should I really be doing this? Should I open my books on the bus? What are people going to think? Um, and, you know, I think my story, and there's a lot more stories, and now what even the academic and scientific research is showing is that these two pathways can develop concurrently. They're not a zero-sum game. You don't have to steal from your athletic self to develop your other professional self. You can develop these concurrently. There's lots of time in the day, and there's a three-hour rule. You only have to be at the rink for three hours. Yes. That's yeah. all that you can do today. Some people may not know that, that that's a mandated rule across the league, that you can only be in the in the dressing room or around the team for three hours a day or whatever, except yeah, I think, you know, game days might be a little different. Bargained, it is a collectively bargained right the players have in workplace conditions. Yeah. They can't be at the rink for more than three hours during training camp. So I, I often look at it as like, how do we how do we grow these together? How does your development outside the game fulfill your athletic self? And how does your athletic self, athletic self give you the platform uh, and to, to go out there and accomplish other things that might interest you? And that's something that we we'll, you know, really try to, to um, impart on athletes is that you won't have a greater platform than when you're at your pinnacle. You'll have no greater opportunity to network, to learn, to ask questions, uh, to gain access to certain, you know, environments because you have a very unique currency as an athlete. It's a social capital. People are interested in your story and they're very impressed with what you do. Uh, and it's an opportunity for you to ask questions and cultivate real genuine relationships in the things that are important to you and things that you think you might have an interest in. And, and that could be anything. We see uh, a whole bunch of a range of activities players are interested in. Small business, real estate, engineering, architecture, finance, uh, education, psychology, film, uh, philanthropy, uh, podcasting, entertainment. You know, there, there's a number of interests that guys are, are starting to really embrace while they're players and taking, you know, full control, almost like come, becoming CEOs of their own company, I like to say. Yeah. Uh, and really driving what they stand for, what those values are. And, and what you do is you, you get this, you know, rising tide raising all boats. And the more things you have to feel good about, the more effective you're going to play. Yeah. Uh, so I often say, and back to your, your your first point about you know some some of the challenges players face and some of the challenges our culture faces, and you know mental health isn't a hockey issue. Mental health mm -hmm. is a societal issue. Yeah. Uh, the, the the same issues are, are prevalent across a number of industries, a number of of culture, unique cultures. Um, what we want to be able to do, and certainly there are some things in hockey that that preclude being open and honest, which may be detrimental to to our long term well being. Uh, but what we can do is in, embrace a, a role that I like to say is helping athletes live their best life through the sport rather than sacrificing their best life to be a hockey player. Mm. That, that makes sense. You. And I find in my experience, and it seems like it resonates a little bit with what you said, talking about, you know, some some people and, I, and not just guys, but but female players as well, seem they need to fulfill some sort of archetype of what a hockey player is, is, is not in order to fulfill it. 
uh, you know, rather than, you know, embracing who they authentically are and you know, what their interests might be. And uh, they, they sometimes feel like they may have to sacrifice that. And it's the burden that they have to carry in order to be a hockey player. And uh, my goal is, is to say, well, we can, we can live in, in these both worlds. We can, we can revel in our, the success of our athletic career. That is so important to us, but it doesn't confine us or define us. It's an expression of who we are, not a reflection. Wow. I just want to, I want to bring up just a quick, quick comment. Stuart Smith watching out there in Abbotsford, assistant fire chief in Abbotsford, friend of mine. Great conversation, guys. Jay, your insight and ability to make the point is incredible. I'll be watching this episode again because there's so much great content. And I think, you know, I just want to echo those words. And um, again, uh, you're a smart dude. You're, you're educated, but you have a way of, of, and that's why I think this brings so much value. People uh, watch this show, listen, uh, a lot of parents, hockey parents, uh, athletes in general, people looking kind of just for some insight here and there. And you never know what someone's going to say that may just help somebody just get them even just directed on the right path, or maybe even make a significant impact. And I just, appreciate you um i need i would like to know i don't need to know um is there a specific reason why uh you decided to take your you know your effort energy and your focus down this path um and when did you know that you know you know kind of focusing on the mental health side of things and and all that comes with it was was for you well it it started academically because i was fascinated with psychology you know i'm a why guy that's what i'm understanding why conceptualizing um I found, you know, I, I could never, I was, I was thirsty for more knowledge uh, and greater understanding and application. Uh, and I also have great advantage of taking a- academics when, when you're a, a mature student yeah. and an adult with kids being married, um, you start to actually be living what's happening in textbooks, not just like, you know, reading through it at 21 and, you know, what am I ever going to need this for? Like you can actually start to see things. So it really cements things uh, in a way, but uh, there, there was a huge gap in this area. Um, so I, I, you know, had recognized that, you know, I did have a, a bit of a skill set that was, you know, somewhat still rough on the edges and needed to be cultivated. I've had some amazing mentors, uh, who continue to help shape, shape me and, and, and shape my ability to, to be supportive to people. Um, but yeah, once I, once I got into doing like some clinical work, I did my clinical residency at Ontario Shores in, in my hometown of Whitby, Ontario. Is that, that's, is that. That's not that picture, is it? No, that's uh, that's some, something cool. I got a bit of a of a side uh, project as well with uh, five friends. We uh, uh, we started a watch company in our hometown. Whitby, okay, that's, so that's what that is. Everybody, check out the Whitby Watch Company. It's an amazing uh, process of telling stories of Canadian excellence through watches. Uh, I have a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit as well, uh, but you know, getting in the clinic. Uh, and, you know, watching, you know, people improve and being a catalyst to them uh, and, and just witnessing them. Uh, some very difficult things. I spent the majority of my residency in a trauma clinic outpatient uh, and it, it fundamentally changed me and who I was and how I experienced the world, how I witnessed people suffering um, from an empathy that you truly can't have until you can't get out of an uncomfortable situation. And yeah. you just have to be with someone through their pain and there's nothing to say. Um, so, you know, in, in that, that became uh, something very powerful and very influential. And now as I continue to move and, and be, you know, a, a catalyst of change, uh, both on, the, on the, the practical side, right, on how, you know, how do we shape policy? You know, how do we uh, it, 
evoke change? You know, we're, we're, how do we do that? We know there's areas that need change, but obviously these are very complex, dynamic issues that require very well thought out solutions um, and can't be solved quickly. Um, so we need to ensure we're, you know, investing that time and energy in, in meeting complex uh, problems, sophisticated problems with sophisticated solutions. So uh, I feel like my academics have all been worth something. They weren't just something to do. Um, they're serving me every day um, as, you know, self-development tools, but also making me professionally relevant to do the work on behalf of all of our players, not just in hockey, but, you know, at all levels of sport, whether that's youth, elite, professional or retired. Can you tell us a little bit about um, like what you're what you're doing now specifically? I don't know if you want to touch on it. Um, you know how you know, I touched on it a little bit, I guess, at the beginning on how we met, but maybe how you're connected uh, just to the game of hockey today and how you're helping some of the guys uh, maybe uh, that people see on TV or or whatever. Like you're pretty involved uh, with with trying to help the current NHL players and and past NHL players trying to essentially build this plan right yeah um so but my primary role is a consultant with the national hockey league players association and um i i act as the you know transition wellness and performance specialist in that space where uh like i said where uh i kind of talked about being that that conduit or that liaison to help you know people access care um and then having you know the the, the experience and the professional uh abilities to you know discern you know specific aspects of a, a given presentation uh, and make sure that that person gets to the resources they need and the whole goal of that is that we want to reduce the energy it takes to pick up the phone uh it's a hard call to make under any circumstances let alone to someone you don't know and who may not understand uh, especially when you're looking for every excuse not to call um so you know by creating a line that way somewhere in between that can direct people to the resources and, and the PA has amazing, amazing mental health and behavioral health resources for players and retired players and onto the alumni as well. Uh, if I can increase bringing those two together when there's a need for it, that's truly a win. Um, and, and recognizing that, you know, mental health and functioning occurs on a spectrum. You know, there are players um, who are functioning very well, but it doesn't mean they'll always be functioning well. Um, so some you know, players may need career development and, and facilitation in that respect, but their circumstances may change over time. And oppositely, other players may, you know, may be in more difficult situations, facing uh, more difficult problems and healing that they have to work through. But that's not a life sentence. Uh, and, you know, there's 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 growth that comes after that and growing out of that and facilitating and optimizing function after that. So uh, being able to to provide a service where we can help players meet you know, the, the resources is is critically important to me. And what I found was a very large gap in our game. Um, so one that I'm, I'm hoping to fill and continue to expand on. It's incredible. I, uh, the work you're doing and and I think the the impact that you're making and, and, and you might not even see, Jay, uh, the impact that you're making for, for years to come when you can actually reflect back and, and say like, hey, maybe you can't, concrete say that because you did this this happened or what but we can maybe in a few years look back and you could really say hey like you know help this guy or help like you don't know what that looks like when somebody has to walk away from the only thing that they know and as you know full well um there's a lot of a lot of those guys out there that that are struggling and you know i think i think it's just important um so important that 
this work is being done. And when I first met you, I think when you were the first person that took the lead on the call and, and, and you kind of explained um, a little bit of the process because I wasn't really in the know and I was so um, encouraged to hear that. I think going back to what you said earlier, I love to hear it is making it easier to pick up the phone. That's where it becomes difficult. We can have all the great resources in place, but if the person doesn't feel empowered or comfortable or not guilty or shameful to make that call, if they're saying in a crisis, then I don't know. So I think it's important to have advocates like yourself, people that uh, a guy like that someone can lean on, you know, and, and know that they can trust and it's away from their team and just, Hey, that you're doing amazing work, Jay. And I, I really think that years from now, you're going to see the, the impact and we're already seeing it, I'm sure, but years well, from now, thank you. Thank you. And you don't know. And it's, it, I reflect that back to you as well in your work, which is incredibly admirable. Uh, you go into the hard spots, man. And you, you know, you don't, you don't turn down, you don't turn a cheek at all. Uh, and, and sometimes that can be overwhelming and, and burdensome uh, as well because there's so much work to be done. And in many ways, we never know who it, who it is that really is affected. Sometimes can question whether we're making a difference at all, but we don't have to know. Right. right? And I always you know, come back to, I think, something that we can coalesce. But I think we've talked about it before is that when you get overwhelmed, you got into this job to help one person. Right. Focus on one. Right. And, and you'll accumulate over time and always come home to that when, you know, the, the idea of helping others becomes so burdensome uh, that you lose yourself in it, um, that you sacrifice yourself and, and those closest to you in order to be helpful. It, sometimes it can be very orienting and grounding. A strong message that a mentor gave me was to focus on one. You got in this to help one person and, and that's enough today. Um, but you don't know the, the, the downstream effects of the work that you do and people that they will help and beyond. So, you know, with, with every call, with every conversation, with every podcast, we increase awareness. We increase that, you know, cumulative courage of our players uh, and those in our, in our sport and beyond um, to be authentic and, and seek help when they need it. And also being ear to listen when others might as well. I love it. I love it, all of it. I have uh, I have a question because it's one I get asked all the time. And, and again, maybe there's different answers for different uh, circumstances. But what, what do you say to uh, to somebody who, let's say, use an example of a young junior hockey player that maybe has a friend or a teammate uh, that's starting to struggle with their you know mental health or addiction? And like, uh, like, how do how do we approach that? What's the best way you think? And, and maybe we can't answer it directly. Um, but I get asked this all the time. Like, how, how do we, what's the best way to approach this? Do we not say anything? Do we say anything? Because if we don't say anything and something happens, um, I think having these conversations is important, but I think it's really hard for people is what I'm trying to get to. Right. And I think, think it's, in, it's important for people to be able to recognize the signs and then be able to know what to do, um, whether it's themselves suffering or watching somebody suffering. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it, it is. They're, they're difficult conversations to have because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stigma around talking about it. Not just stigma about mental health, there's stigma about talking about mental health. Well, what if they say something and I don't know what to say? Right? What if, what if they say something that is way outside my league? Like they, they want to hurt themselves or that's what they're thinking about. And I'm in all of a sudden I'm in a situation way over my head. I better not say anything. Um, right. So that does happen quite a bit. And, you know, checking in on people and caring for, for them personally uh, is actually a very human thing that everybody does know how to do. And that's all it has to be, you know, checking in on someone I've noticed 
you know, you haven't been yourself or withdrawn and, and leave a, a calling card, leave an open door invitation. You know, it's not a mandate. You have to tell me what's going on. But if you think it would be helpful, uh, I'm here to listen. Right. And oftentimes, you know, we, the secret to listening is you don't no no answers required. Right. You don't need to know what to say. You don't need to know what to do. Uh, in many cases, the, the the act of witnessing someone allows them to come to their solution and embrace what they already know. Um, you know, but it's in sometimes that can be uncomfortable to be in that place. Silence can be very uncomfortable, uh, but also very powerful and healing and letting things sink in, especially when someone has you know, made something real uh, to the world and related it to another person who has never done it before. So it's also a great honor to listen um, and, and to approach it that way. So uh, I, I really think it doesn't have to be more than, you know, starting the conversation and, and allowing things to to happen. You don't need to know what to say. You don't need to have a script or an approach, um, but certainly checking in and on someone and inviting them the opportunity to share with you and that you're listening um, is the first step. Yeah. And I, that's what I honestly, in my experience, that's what I've found. Uh, you know, I've gotten all just from putting my story out there, the, the countless message of people that I've never met before and that uh, tell me that they've never shared this with anybody um, ever. Uh, but here now they have a, and that's sometimes all it takes. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, I got to talk to them every day or whatever, but you make that connection you say, Hey, you're not alone here and you can help them and encourage them. Maybe they start to develop more relationships and they encourage to go get the help. And then uh, like, that's where it starts. And I think it's really important. I want to get to uh, a couple of uh, comments and stuff uh, just just before I'm trying to find the ones I don't want to see any about the, me in the beginning. I don't need to hear anything like that right now. Um, we got, well, there's quite a few. Uh, we have Jordan Noftal. He says, I remember watching Jay as a kid when he played for my hometown, St. John's Maple Leafs. Hello to Jordan out there in St. John's. Uh, my buddy, Danny watching in the Philippines says, good morning. Good morning, Danny. My old personal coach from when I was a kid. Um, we got Turnsy 66 just watched Jay Ragdoll Carcillo on YouTube. Nice fight, Jay, LOL. Daniel Carcillo, friend of the show as well. Um, uh, shootouts are the worst. We, I'm not trying to put salt in the wound there, Jay, but... Um, okay. Smoke, sm Snake Dagger uh, says, I'm finally seeing someone for my mental health at the end of the month. Super proud of you, man. Keep going. Yeah. Um, Brody's Brody says love that don't always need to know why to get better just wrote that down I did too um, let me see I don't always get all these comments uh, but advice to raising young players Heather Cuthbertson uh, do you have anything on that if, if yeah it's such a loaded question I get it all the time um, um, is there anything, uh, maybe a simple, concise answer um, that's not going to solve everyone's problems, but maybe that has helped you along the way? Uh, well, well, certainly as a father of four, um, I've grappled with raising young athletes uh, in what seems to be a hyper-professionalized youth sport environment that is solely transactional, um, becomes very difficult. And then also coming from a sports background, also biases being uh, as well and um, really staying true to what 
is the outcome you're looking to drive? Why is sport in your family's life? Why do you want sport in your child's life? And, you know, sticking with those things and really staying true and being honest, is that what I'm getting for this? In many cases, I've had talks with parents all the time. How much have you spent this year? And they're like 18,000. And I'm like, what else have you spent 18,000 on this year? Like, you know, are you getting good value on that? Right? Um, um, you know, I think it, it's critically important to recognize that the gift of the game has nothing to do with the game at all. Uh, and um, to to ensure that that your child is is developing confidence, autonomy, self-efficacy, a love of fitness, accountability. Uh, these are the life lessons that we learn in a controlled environment of sport that expand to the real world um, that we take with us. Um, and uh, I encourage to, to focus on those. And, and if your child is getting those at whatever level they are, then they're meeting their developmental needs. Uh, not everyone needs to play at the highest level of a sport to get anything out of it. Um, in fact, most people don't. Yes. And that's, that's a thing, right? And I think a lot of parents and kids, myself, I'm sure my dad at times, you get lost in it, right? Trying to achieve the level of success. And, and what does that look like when you don't? And uh, it's, there's so much more to hockey, like you said. And that's, again, that's what I say to parents. If they ask me the question, I always say, are, are they having fun? Like, is it enjoyable? Uh, can Is it making them like better or is it too stressful like if it's too much like it's not the end all be all um and i think we all find that out at some point regardless if you're wayne gretzky or uh, somebody who just played house league eventually there'll be a time where you know you get too old or whatever or you can't play and you start to realize that hey you know the joy of the game like that you know getting on the outdoor rink with your your dad or your friends or whatever and that's just that simplicity of the game and, and why do you love it why do you love that competitiveness and and if it's not there i always tell like tell parents maybe just take a step back for a bit try something else so they get that love and that hunger back it's really hard times up here right now because hockey shut down in ontario and uh, it's you know it's unprecedented times it's it's insane and uh i feel for for these kids uh the parents uh, everybody uh, there's a lot of other things going on too in the world but um it's having a significant impact on a lot of these kids not having that outlet right yeah it it completely does it's it, that's exactly what it is and it's that expression it's where they can you know express their creativity it's where they can find where they fit in a group it's where they learn a sense of humor uh all of these these factors that maybe we don't necessarily connotate with sport but um just because you're not good at it isn't a reason to stop uh and i think that's far too common uh, a justification for taking a kid out of a sport is because well you're not any good at it um do you love it do you have fun uh, so sometimes it becomes more about parents than it does about kids. Um, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. And but that's that's another chapter of of, of another book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and I want to touch on that before you go too, because you're publishing a book as well. But we, I think we, you know, when we think back to the, it's it's like you said, the life lessons. Like there's things that I learned playing hockey right from essentially the first year moving on all the way up, like there's these certain life lessons that allowed me to get back to the place where I'm at now. And yes, hockey and the hockey community is being a big part of that. But even at my darkest times when, you know, there was like down and out homeless, whatever, there was a certain something in me 
because I learned how to compete and battle and, and like, do like, I don't know. I always attributed me making it out of that life, something to do with hockey and the lessons that I learned, even though maybe some of the stuff that happened along the way, maybe had some part in why I was there in the first place. At the end of the day, I've always circled back to believing full well that the lessons and the people and everything that I've gotten from hockey and learned from hockey has saved my life on so many different occasions. So many different occasions. Wow, that is, that is incredibly powerful to bring it 360 that way and to see the game as, you know, that which saved you. Um, what greater example do we need for why this is not about sport yeah exactly exactly i i didn't even thank you originally for for coming on i know that you're i i don't really know but i i have in front of me all of your schooling and four kids like your time man like where are you finding the time now um and what's the what's the future for for jay harrison are you done now with phd or or are you going to continue i made a very strong promise that this is the end of of my academic uh uh, pursuits. Uh, the, the girls in the house here said that's enough, Dad. Um, and uh, I, I don't blame them. Uh, no, it's continuing to evolve. I'm, I'm still very young in this profession. I, I certainly have collected a, a lifetime of experience thus far, but uh, that's only to reflect what I don't know. Uh, there is so much I'm hungry to learn every day, and I want to get better at what I do. And, and I bring my athlete mentality to my new work and my new endeavors to to completely get everything I can out of myself. And a lot of that is having the humility to not understand, to go into places where you're uncomfortable and unlearned yeah. uh, and to learn something new. Uh, that's, you know, what gets me excited. Um, you know, I think that's, that's truly the, the gift again, like you, you've had in the game is that it, it's taught me to continue to, to strive uh, and find new ways to express myself and, and make an impact in the lives of others. Well, uh, finding balance, uh, finding moments to relax and enjoy a, a girls softball game. There you uh, go. Right. Uh, and, and all of those aspects that come with, you know, middle adulthood uh, <laughs> and, and learning to find your place in a broader world uh, and just trying to figure out what the heck's going to be left when it's all done. And you realize it has very little to do with what you do and a whole lot more of what you leave behind. Yes. I, <sighs> Man, I, I'm so inspired by your work, and you know, I, I can't. I don't know of any other hockey player that that had the career now has the credentials. Certainly in this field, I'm not sure there's there's anybody else out there. Um, maybe you know some other guys that are kind of treading in that same direction. Um, but it's it's really encouraging. Uh, I think it's also important to highlight to people watching or listening that Jay doesn't just work with hockey players. You do a lot of work outside the hockey community with your business as well, and stuff. Uh, I know your time is valuable and, and I'm going to let you go here in a few minutes, but maybe just tell us briefly about like kind of the other stuff you do away from, from just dealing with, with hockey players. Yeah. I found that there's, you know, there's enormous transferability uh, of, a, of a hockey experience, the athletic experience. I, I often uh, get pulled into the first responder military and police environments and, and do a lot of consulting in that space as well. Uh, there's a number of corollaries between our, our careers and obviously they're very different. Uh, there's nothing life-threatening about being a professional athlete um, the way um, our military uh, and first responders experience. Uh, but there is something to the identity and there's something to the sacrificing your best self in order to do your job 
just somehow part of the prerequisite that really resonates. So, you know, I recognize that there's there's connection across cultures and communities uh, in that performance identity mindset that a lot of um, a lot of different uh, industries have, and, and sharing that experience from sport sport is being my, is my platform. It still is. Uh, the first conversation people usually want to have is something pertaining to my career, and I embrace that. Um, that's my vehicle that allows me to to um, to be a, a vehicle of change for people and and get an audience and then share uh, with them or witness or whatever has to be done. So uh, again, continue to exploring. I certainly work in some other sports and do some fun stuff, uh, expanding my understanding of the, the, the elite athlete landscape, but also um, I'm very interested in, in, in adolescent youth as well and shaping you know, the, the athletes of tomorrow and how they navigate uh, adolescence as an athlete is, is very different. Uh, than it used to be and um, being an advocate in that space and developing ways to support athletes is critically important to me. That's awesome. I have one last question for you um, and I'm pretty sure I probably know the answer, but what would you like, where are we in comparison to when you left the game as a player um, kind of what you saw, maybe uh, the, the guys and how they uh, talked about either mental health issues or addiction issues or how they went about either seeking that help or, or how long did it take for them to finally feel okay or does it take for them to get caught or like back then, where are we at in comparison to when you left the game as a player to where you're at uh, involved now as a consultant working uh, alongside these players and, and the game and, and where we're at today with surrounding mental health? Well, I think our, our game is, is a reflection of society in general, and there's a, a very strong empowerment happening to the individual, yeah. the power of the individual, the power of one voice. Um, I think we're, we're seeing that more and more, um, players advocating for causes, advocating for each other, advocating for themselves. Um, that is, is moving light years, having the courage to do that, and the responsiveness of the, of the world, of the community, of society to embrace that and, um, and meet that. Um, without judgment. And I, I think that's something that we continue to to work towards and how we we support each other. Our, our hockey culture, our greatest asset is our people. And we need to leverage that. Uh, and that peer-to-peer -peer support uh, is something that, you know, I think sets our game apart and the camaraderie in, in a uh, hockey dressing room. It's not a locker room, it's a dressing room. Canadian thing <laughs> um, is uh, is a very special place that doesn't necessarily reflect what all locker rooms might look like, uh, and I think that's our greatest asset in developing the safest workplace and the safest culture for all people uh, to live their best lives through hockey. That's it. That's awesome, dude. I, I honestly, man, I, I look up to you tremendously. Um, the way that you even speak and carry yourself is is unbelievable. You're making a huge difference in the lives of others. But honestly, you're going to leave a lasting impact in the game. And 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 honest, I, I really, truly believe you're doing some amazing work, really getting guys uh, to think. And and I really believe that. And in, in the end, um, it's could possibly even save a life because it can be tumultuous as we, you and I have had conversations about certain individuals uh, who we both know that have, have struggled and, and there's so many others out there and you're doing the work that, that sort of gives them a leg up for when that, that curtain maybe closes on their hockey career. And it's, it's really uh, inspiring to hear. And I hope that 
the majority, all the guys uh, are listening and, and take that um, and run with it because you're providing something. You guys, uh, your team is everyone that's working in that space. It's really providing uh, something beautiful for these guys to utilize. Uh, and I hope that they all do it, man. And just thank you for your time. Thank your wife and your kids for, for letting me borrow you and um, good best of luck. Oh, tell us a little bit quickly about your book and when it's coming out, if you don't um, mind and where people yeah, can uh, coming up very shortly. Um, you know, my, my first dabble into this was, was how can, you know, I support athletes more broadly with the transition specifically. And uh, in my life, I use expressive writing, especially through my transition to be a very powerful tool. Um, also being a trauma therapist, we use expressive writing quite extensively uh, in dealing with powerful emotions, emotional regulation and processing traumatic memories. I'm not suggesting every athlete who has a career and retires has traumatic memories. Uh, but I've, I've created a process. It's called the story of your athletic journey. And it's an expressive writing exercise to help athletes reflect on and process their athletic careers and how they can integrate that, you know, develop gratitude, maybe work through some of the hard parts as well. There may be some unfinished business in there. I know I certainly had some. Uh, but giving an, an opportunity to, to express that through writing um, certainly the, the science supports expressive writing as a very powerful vehicle in promoting well-being and decreasing symptoms associated with mental health issues. So uh, it's, it's my goal to, to, to give this out and, and something I could spread to and give to anyone and know that even if you spent, you know, two or three days, five days doing it, um, it was something and it, and it was worth something. So the story of your athletic journey takes you chronologically through your life in sport and as you reflect on certain moments and experiences you know, obviously the deep stuff, but but also the fun stuff like the soundtrack of your uh, of your life and, you know, your, your classic warm up tunes, um, you know, the game day routine stuff, all of those things that you, you can really think about and process and then integrate into your future self and what you're becoming. Right. And uh, and work through that kind of it's a very sticky area. We, we call it a, a liminal experience It's a fancy word, but you're not what you were and you're not yet what you're going to be. Mm. Uh, difficult from an identity perspective a lot of athletes it's very uncomfortable and it's not just you know athletes, it's a lot, a lot of um when they have life transitions so uh the idea behind the story of your athletic journey is to help uh, athletes you know gain appreciation for their experience uh come to a place of acceptance and gratitude and then look forward uh, in a way that helps them uh take all of those great knowledge and all of that great skill uh, most transferable skills and apply them to another passion in their life um, outside of you. When, when, does, when is this book coming out? Do you have the date yet? Uh, no, I don't have I don't have the date yet. I'm still uh, in, in that publishing process, but I'll be sure to hit you um, with a with a link for it if you'd be so gracious to share that in the near uh, future. You uh, already we're know you are. Uh, we're working on the final details on the final uh, cut. And uh, it's my hope that it can support athletes, you know, whether you were an elite high school athlete or a junior player or got to play the game for a living. There's a whole bunch of nuggets in here uh, for anyone who's had uh, sport be a profound impact on their life. And there's lots of things to reflect on and be grateful for. That's awesome. And I can't you already know, man, I'll be sharing it everywhere. And if someone is catch, catching this episode via audio later, whenever it does come out, I'll go back and I'll, I'll link it. 
uh, wherever the link is to get it right in the description. So if you're listening to this, say a month from now, it's January 13th. You can just go to the description below. It'll probably be there. Um, all the, I'll have all the links to, to all his information and, and all that kind of stuff. If I think there's a couple that we can direct people to uh, possibly. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Jay. Thank you for everything uh, that you've done. And, and honestly, man, thank you for being there for me because uh, we've had some conversations. You've been extremely, extremely helpful um, for me and some of the things that I've tried to do and, and different things that maybe we'll just keep off the air right now. But just know from the bottom of my heart, man, the fact that I can text you and, and you, you've made certain things happen or connections and stuff. I'm just, I'm very grateful for you. Uh, I'm excited to see where, where your journey is going to take you and, and how big of an impact you're going to leave. So thank you so much. That's very kind. Thank, thank you, Brady. And the same to you. The feeling is very mutual. The work you do is so important. Uh, I'm so grateful for you as well and working together uh, to create change to support athletes everywhere uh, is, is a great mission. And I'm, I'm certainly glad you're on my team and I'm on yours. You're damn right. So I want to give a shout out to Andrew Ladd because he, he saw that you were coming on my show earlier and was like, yeah, liked it and everything else. I chatted with him a little bit and he's on his way to uh, hopefully a thousand games uh, ladder. He's, he's getting close. He is. Uh, yeah, Laddie's uh, with a fantastic captain, fantastic teammate. Uh, doing great work outside the game as well, using his platform to create change in the world. Hopefully, maybe one day he'll be a guest on your show and share his journey. Uh, yeah. as well. It's quite powerful, and the work he's doing is exceptional. Yeah, 1616.org, I believe, is is the website for Andrew Lads. He's going to be on the show probably. I don't. Try, I try not to bug the active players during the season, right? It's a, it's a lot. So busy. Yeah, right. I know. I know. I just, you know how it is. Though. I'm not, I'm not trying to press these guys, but he's, he'll definitely be on the show. And I would love to have uh, you back on at some point in time. If, uh, if you'd come back. Uh, always here. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks Jay. Have a good night, man. Appreciate you. Bless you. Thank you. Bye. Guys, that's Jay Harrison, retired NHLer, soon to be doctor, mental health professional, soon to be published author did i say that have another concussion i'm going to uh send it over uh to a quick commercial to our friends over at pride tape uh and we'll be back here to wrap up the show with a few final thoughts stick around pocket of hell and back is brought to you by pride tape pride tape is a badge of support from teammates coaches parents and pros to young lgbtq players it shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at PrideTape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. We can all do our part. We can all do our part. My mic is like crackly tonight. We can all do our part to make hockey better for everybody 
promoting equality and inclusion. Thank you to my friends at Pride Tape, the NHL, getting behind uh, that movement. Shout out to my friend Brock McGillis, friend of the show, recently uh, ranked number 77 on the most influential people in hockey, the first openly uh, gay hockey player, uh, friend of the show, doing some amazing work. We can all do our part. We can all do our part. What a great episode. Jay, Jay Harrison, incredible human being, uh, doing some amazing work. And it's very uh, not like inspiring. I've said that so much tonight, uh, but inspiring. Uh, I'm just hopeful. I'm hopeful uh, for the game of hockey from the NHL down. And that's where it's got to start. It's where it's got to start. That's where everyone's looking. You know, we can all make impacts. We can get to the grassroots level. But if we can get the NHL uh, to a place, um, that's where everyone's looking, right? That's that's where all the kids are looking up to, uh, following the leads of those in the spotlight. Uh, We're seeing a lot of guys come out, Carey Price, Jonathan Druen, many others. These are the stories that save lives, um, you know, and inspire people, whether they're a hockey player or not, to say, hey, I'm not alone here. And uh, I'm here to tell you that if you're out there, you, you may feel alone. You may not have any family um, surrounding you, supporting you. I know what that's like. I know what that's like. You want someone to talk to, hit me up. Find me on social media. I'm not always available, but I'll always make time. Um Send me an email, Brady at PuckSupport.com. I mean it. You want to chat? Hit me up, Brady at PuckSupport.com. I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. Um, anybody that doesn't know what Puck Support is, check it out, PuckSupport.com. We got some exciting things coming down the pipe. Uh, working with VS Group to get the charity off the ground. Should have our NPO status here shortly. None of this has happened as fast as I'd like. I think we all know that. I would uh, would have loved to been able to be uh, in a much better position uh, on the charity side than we are. However, we are where we are, and, and the plan is is looking fantastic. And I've had some some contributing information to this plan or ideas, uh, but there's other people behind the scenes that are really helping bring this to life, and they believe in the cause, and they're investing time and resources and money. Um, and it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. And uh, we're looking for everybody to get involved. Uh, I don't have the answer exactly what that looks like for people right now. We're currently building a board of directors and subcommittees and uh, the whole organizational chart. Um, there's plenty of positions uh, to be filled in the coming months and years. Um, and if you will, you know, if you want to make a difference, share it with people. Tell people about Puck Support. Uh, because by doing that, not only does that uh, get the word out there for puck support, by doing that, at least in my experience, 99% of the time and from the comments and phone calls and different things that I've had, when people do share about puck support and say, hey, this is what it is, oftentimes, more likely than not, it strikes up a conversation between those two people about mental health, about addiction, because guess what? One in four people will, will have mental illness and or addiction in their life. That's one in four people. I don't know anybody in this world, not a single person in this world that can tell me that they don't have somebody that they love and care about that is suffering or has suffered with mental illness or addiction. It's impossible to find. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And the sooner that we all start talking about it, 
and figuring out real solutions instead of just putting band-aids over it, then we're going to start to see real change. We're going to save lives. And that's that's just the reality. I can't lose any more friends. I, I, I can't stop it. You know, it seems every time I go on social media, if I stay on there long enough and have conversations, I'll find out that somebody I know has overdosed or committed suicide. More often, it's an overdose these days. I can't stop it, but I won't sit back idle and just do nothing about it. I know I can't save everyone. We can't save everybody. People are going to make their own choices, but I can't sit back idle and, and watch people suffer and feel like they have no hope and feel like they have no future because I know what that feels like. And here I am with a future that's so unimaginable to me that it's just like, whoa. People could argue, oh, well, you have hockey, you have this. No, I have many friends who are not professional hockey players of any kind uh, or athlete uh, that now have significant amount of time clean under their belt years um, and I talk to them and it's unexplainable. The same thing has happened to me. It's happened to them. These gifts fall from the sky. They legitimately fall from the sky. Maybe not as quickly as you'd like or as you hope or maybe the exact things that you want. But if you stick it out and give yourself a chance and be honest and try to harvest positive relationships and, and do the work amazing things happen amazing things happen regardless of who you are or where you're at you keep putting one foot in front of the other and making that next right choice and if you happen to make a wrong choice you just pick yourself up and, and get yourself back on track there is hope out there and nobody can tell me otherwise because i'm living proof i am living proof and i've said this so many times i'm not stronger i don't have more courage more anything than any one of you out there that's watching or listening to me speak right now i started from nothing i had very little support didn't have a dollar to my name and it took a lot of soul searching and a lot of time figuring it out on my own it hurt it still hurts wasn't easy it's still not easy but my life of an addict that was a real full-time job 24 7 365 days a year there is nothing more exhausting than being an active addiction at least in my experience if you're one of those people and you're listening right now do not give up on yourself if you fall on your face pick yourself back up I love this old analogy if you fall into if you fall off the wagon you don't have to fall into the ditches too you can pick yourself up and you can get right back on that wagon it goes back to the what I was saying earlier is you don't have to do it alone I know I felt like I had to do it on my own and there were some things that I did have to do on my own but there's people that with lived experience, there's people that care, there's people that are willing to listen. Sometimes you just got to find them. Anyways, that's pretty much all I have to say. We're going to be back Tuesday night. Um, 
couple different options for guests at this point. I don't have that lined up, but moving forward, I'm going to have all my guests scheduled and lined uh, for months, like the months coming up. Because if anyone knows me or anything about this podcast, I fly, I have flown completely by the seat of my pants since the second I started this uh, and sometimes leave things to the last minute. And I'm looking to start to change that because now I'm at a point where I'm starting to think about, you know, I'm not just concerned about trying to make myself feel better and and my own issues and, and just surviving. It's like, what can I do to actually make some more progressions in my life, in my recovery, all of these things. And um, that's just something that I know if I can get done, will make me feel good. And goes back to what Jay was saying earlier in the podcast is, you know, as he was playing professional hockey, he was still going to school. He was doing schooling because by doing that, that was something that made him feel good. Didn't matter if he had a bad game or, you know, was getting ragged down in practice or whatever. There was something that was outside of the game of hockey. If you're not a hockey player outside of whatever it is that you like to do or whatever you're struggling with to, to lift you up. And uh, those are the little things I think that I know have worked for me. Uh, all the, the, the relationships and the podcast and puck support and everything. Those are my why. Like, that's why I've been a big reason why I've been able to do what I've done by staying clean and trying to get and getting my life back again, a lot slower than I had hoped a lot slower than I had hoped. Uh, Nowhere near where I want to be. But I know that if I go back and try to self-medicate or any of that, that all of this goes away and I'll be dead. I'll be gone. And all the stuff that I want in my future It'll definitely never happen. The only way for things to happen for me or for you is to stick to the process and just honestly, sometimes you got to grind it out, grind it out. The reward will pay off. The reward will pay off. Anyways, that's it for me. My voice is going. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, press like, press subscribe. Appreciate it. Share it with your friends. Thank you to everybody. If you're new to the show because of Dan Fumano and the province, thank you again, Dan. Thank you to province. Thank you to Simi Sarah from CKNW980 News in Vancouver for having me on. Everybody that sent me a message, a comment, thank you so much. If I haven't got back to you, I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for all of your support. Without it, I'm not sitting here today started with one, two, three people believing me and stick, I stuck the course. And now I have a lot of people that are believing in me and I got some haters too. We're all always going to have haters and always going to have doubters. Let them, let them. We make our own choices, our own decisions. Don't give up on yourself. Shout out to my man, Avery out there in Perry sound. I just got up the phone with him. No, he's watching. I don't want to get into his story, but I'm proud of you. And uh, shout out to my man, Doug, who's on the couch in front of me. I'm not going to get into what's going on here, but proud of this guy too. And uh, yeah, we're doing good over here. We're doing good over here and uh, providing a little bit of hope. Hopefully uh, somebody heard something that was helpful tonight. Man, sorry I didn't get to all the comments. I really want to get to them. I got to get off here. It's been too long. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to click click them through at the end of the show when the music's playing. That's it. Share with your friends. Like, subscribe. Thank you so much. Rate and review if you have time. Take care of yourselves. Be kind. 
always, always be grateful. Find the things to be grateful in. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up Cause I'll only say it once, I'm gonna show you all the path If you want it bad, I'm gonna show you every side Yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one, working hella hard until I get just what I want Yeah, rises like the sun, yeah, fatal like a gun Shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I fall Yeah.